session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Talakwin. I'll be there for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. Before I get into the book of the week from this past week, the book of the week for this week is Life Finds a Way, What Evolution Teaches Us About Creativity by Andreas Wagner. Life finds a way what evolution teaches us about creativity. And um, I do mention judging and choosing books by their cover. And this was one of those that I actually got excited about looking at the cover um, and reading about the topic. And I think it sounds fascinating. And the cover itself is beautiful with a bunch of different um, butterflies on there. But very, very excited to read this book. Have not started it yet, but looking forward to it. So we'll see if it lives up to the expectations I've already made in my mind for this one. Andreas Wagner, Life Finds a Way, What Evolution Teaches Us About Creativity. Not exactly psychology, but uh, science related and also creativity. Um, it does, of course, relate to psychology, but interested to see what he has to say. He is a, he's not a psychologist. He's a, um, I guess more of a environmental studies, evolutionary biology um, professor. So looking forward to reading that and sharing that with you next week. All right. The book of the week for this past week that I'll talk about tonight is Disarming the Narcissist, Surviving and Thriving with the Self-Absorbed by Wendy T. Bahari. Disarming the Narcissist. So this is a, in a way, how-to and self-help type of a book but for helping you deal with a narcissist if you have one in your life. And um, there's a lot of focus on if you're in a romantic relationship with a narcissist, but also talks about having a family member or a boss who is a narcissist as well. So in general, how to deal with an individual like that. And then uh, we maybe have heard this term a lot, narcissism, and even there are some studies and some... Um, psychologists would argue that narcissism is on the rise because of things like social media and I think it definitely is uh, there is some validity validity to that argument but let's talk first about what even a narcissist is um, she makes a checklist of different uh, traits although this is what she calls maladaptive narcissism but in a way this is what we think of as uh, narcissism so I'll read you a list of things she puts as uh, things you might see in a narcissist. For example, uh, self-absorbed, acts like everything is about him or her, entitled, makes the rules and breaks the rules, demeaning, puts you down and is bullish, demanding, demands whatever he or she wants, distrustful, is suspicious of your motives when you're being nice to him or her, 
perfectionistic, has rigidly high standards, things are done his or her way or no way, snobbish, believes he or she is superior to you and others, gets bored easily, approval-seeking, craves constant praise and recognition, unempathic, lacking empathy, that's a big one, is uninterested in understanding your inner experience or unable to do so, unremorseful, cannot offer a genuine apology, compulsive, gets overly consumed with details and minutiae, addictive, cannot let go of bad habits, uses them to self-soothe, and emotionally detached, steers clear of feelings. Uh, now, looking at that list, if you know of someone, a loved one, partner, um, co-worker, family member who fits most of those, she says 10 out of 13, then you might be dealing with someone who is an overt maladaptive narcissist. Um, and as you can imagine, hearing those various traits, they can be individuals who are very difficult to be in a relationship with because as many of the traits alluded to, they have a hard time keeping another person in mind or even wanting to understand or trying to understand what someone else is feeling or even expressing remorse, acknowledging mistakes. Uh, they can be very self-absorbed. They can require and ask for constant praise and admiration and get a feeling of grandiosity that they're better than. So we can see how it can be exhausting and very challenging to be in a relationship with someone who is a narcissist. And um, even when we say a narcissist doesn't mean necessarily you're just diagnosing them with narcissistic personality disorder. And like any mental illness or issue that we're talking about it falls on a spectrum so there's definitely people that are more severely narcissistic and less and also she talks about different types which i might not get into different types that she categorizes but no not all narcissists will look the same or really no two will look exactly the same but there are definitely some themes that we see in individuals who are narcissistic um then she talks about the origins of narcissism and as is the case with anything, we talk about depression or any kind of personality disorder uh, or personality trait, there's not going to be one way or one history that leads to a certain mental illness or mental issue. But she talks about a few different theories. For example, there's the spoiled child theory. So this in a way is a more straightforward one in that the narcissist was treated from a very young age as they were better than and given everything they wanted and the parents didn't allow them to manage or tolerate discomfort so they're just expecting to always get things their way and to um, be treated in a way that they're better than others that's one theory another one she talks about is the dependent child um, so similarly not having to face difficulties and things but it gives them a feeling of feel uh, that they should be entitled to better treatment that they shouldn't have to deal with frustrations or difficult things she says the most popular theory um, is the lonely deprived child and so here in a way we see the opposite of what you might expect in the sense that if you think of someone being narcissistic we think well they must have been praised and adored as a child but in this case the theory is that it's a compensation this um, narcissism and this reaction to it of being self-absorbed wanting constant praise is because inside there is this lonely deprived child and i think 
um, this does make more sense to me. I think obviously there can be a combination of things going on. Even she mentioned sometimes what can make it more complicated is if they get different treatment. Let's say the mother is doting and makes them feel very good about themselves and that they are special. And then the father is uh, very mean and demeaning and puts them down. Then they can feel this mixture and that can create personality issues as well. Um, but what we tend to think is that when you see someone who is narcissistic, there is some compensation going on as much as we might think they love themselves too much or they think too highly of themselves. It does appear that underneath there is this wounded child that is trying to compensate for not feeling good enough, for feeling that if they are not doing perfect or doing everything right, they're not going to get love, they won't be lovable, so they have to be better than everyone else. They have to be grandiose in order to be okay. And in essence, some of what she talks about in the book, when it comes to disarming the narcissist, rather than being mean to them or putting them down, um, it is to actually confront them, but with empathy, which I'll get to. And that is the challenge because being in a relationship with someone who is narcissistic, they tend to be very difficult with some of the things I talked about, but they are prone also to aggressive behavior, to bullying and putting people down, to making you feel like it's always your fault. So when something happens, they're going to make you feel like somehow you caused it. Even if they had an angry outburst, it's because you made them so angry or if something happens, they tend to be more affected. And what's also interesting is that although they come off very strong and they'll show themselves better than and very powerful, they can very easily switch into a victim role. So you'll see that when something happens to them, all of a sudden this person who seemed so strong and powerful and almost godlike or trying to present themselves in that way, all of a sudden becomes so weak and can't believe what they have done to me. Can you believe what they did? It was the worst thing that's happened. Um, and I, it's interesting, I had um, Dean Haycock on the show last week and we talked about the Goldwater Rule and not diagnosing individuals that you have not personally uh, had on your couch or not uh, examined personally. But even when I'm describing a lot of these characteristics, I might remind you of someone in the Oval Office currently um, especially the part that maybe just think about that again was things like I've never, people haven't persecuted any president the way they're persecuting me or putting me down um, reminded me of that. But in general, individuals who are narcissistic can uh, very easily switch into this victim role where you can't believe how hurt they are. And this in a way comes from that entitled part of narcissism that if something even minor doesn't go their way, they can't believe it. Even they might inconvenience or hurt others in significant ways when something happens to them it is unbelievable to them so being in any kind of relationship can be challenging with an individual who is narcissistic to me actually sometimes people ask me what's the most important quality or they want to know top three qualities that you want to have in a romantic partner and one in a way global one is that you want someone that could put someone else first that can keep someone else in mind, that can, of course, take care of themselves overall, so you don't want a martyr, um, but they can think of you first or put you first or have you in mind in everything they do. And unfortunately, someone with narcissism is 
self-absorbed and in that way cannot put someone else, not even first, but sometimes keep them in mind at all. That's what can be so challenging to be with someone who, who has narcissism. And so uh, in the book, she gets into different types of um, different aspects of dealing with a narcissist. Um, but also one aspect you have to think of, especially if you're in a romantic relationship. Now, if it's your parent or your boss, you might not have much of a choice. But in a romantic relationship, you, you've chosen this individual. You picked them. And so you have to look at what might be or what might have attracted you to them. Now, one point I'll make here is very often the things that we dislike or later in the relationship, even maybe you hate about your partner or really are the things you dislike the most tend to be things or tend to have an aspect on the flip side that actually really attracted you to them. So someone who is narcissistic can actually be very charming. They can be very charismatic, um, even sometimes very romantic because they'll do grand gestures, which to me it's interesting because if you look at the intention, often the intention of the gift isn't to give something to their loved one, but is to make such a grand gesture that gets attention. So getting a big gift or an expensive gift or doing things in a romantic way because of how it's going to look to other people rather than really giving something because they want to give it to that person as far as um, a loving gift or what it does for them. It's more about how they look. Look at how great of a gift I got you. So it's still about them somehow. But so initially they can be very charismatic or even we can get caught up in how confident they are or the way they make themselves themselves seem like a chosen one and so if this chosen one who's so spectacular and amazing is attracted to me that can feel very good it can make us feel special too and so we have to always ask ourselves and we can't just blame them to understand why was i attracted to this person something was there sometimes it's the flip side of this now negative quality or side that we're seeing sometimes it could also be the familiarity for example, if you had a narcissistic parent or something of that sort where you were used to that type of a relationship, maybe you were drawn to them as well. But for me, it's always important to ask yourself, what attracted me to this person who has these qualities that now I'm recognizing is not so good? Because usually there's something there. And so in the book, she, she uses schema therapy as um, one of the frameworks that she uh, employs of understanding narcissism in general but also understanding ourselves and how to deal with a narcissist and i won't get into all of that but trying to understand your own self because you have reasons you were attracted to this person and now, now also you have um, ways of being with this individual that also contribute to the type of relationship you have when they get angry with you or when they intimidate you how do you respond trying to understand what happens to you on an emotional and physical level that could contribute to the relationship staying where it is. Um, and so she gets into a lot of details of understanding yourself, understanding your partner, and a big part of that, even at times she talks about seeing that child within them um, to the point where I think I actually have done this with clients before in different ways, even with themselves or with a partner, but looking at a picture of them as a child or looking at a picture of yourself when you were a child, to keep in mind that wounded or hurt child within you or within your partner when you see them even acting a certain way. Because a lot of times when we act out or when we are difficult or challenging in a relationship, it is that wounded child who is acting out or who is showing him or herself. And sometimes reminding ourselves of that or remembering that can be very helpful. So even when you 
are encountering um, this narcissist who is acting in a way that can be very abrasive and difficult at moments, it can be helpful to remember the wounded child underneath who maybe is showing him or herself. And she uses him or her not completely interchangeably because she mentions that the majority of narcissists tend to be men, but definitely it's not only men. Um, but she does use he more than she, and she talks about that. But now when coming into how to try to create some change, she mentions that her path or her um, mindset isn't one of just being mean to them, but using something she calls empathic confrontation, meaning that you don't just accept their unacceptable behavior or things that they do that you don't like, but that you confront them with empathy. And so in doing that, um, this is also related to what we, we could call assertive communication because you are not ignoring your own needs and feelings either, but you're also not just steamrolling them or getting too aggressive or angry. And she does talk about the pattern that sometimes individuals in general, but in, in relationships with someone who is a narcissist, will hold on to things, will be upset, and then finally they'll blow up at them. And in that moment, they might feel good for a moment, but usually it just ends up backfiring as they don't feel very good about it. The narcissist might use this as ammunition to show how bad their partner is again and somehow make you feel bad and blame you for everything that's going on. And usually it does not lead to progress or things getting better. But in using empathic confrontation, you acknowledge your feelings, but you also can understand your partner a little bit better. And what you're trying to do in a way is to connect to that wounded child, that you know that your narcissist partner as much as they might act big and tough or might act like they're indestructible or grandiose or feel like they're better than everyone else this is compensating or coming from this wounded child who just wants to be loved for being themselves for not being so great and even that's something you do is sometimes rather than just giving into acknowledging them as being amazing or so good it's acknowledging the ordinary things about them or small steps because that's what they need is to get recognized for those smaller things to realize they can be loved just for being themselves, not for being some grand um, superior person. And so I did like her strategy of using empathic confrontation. I think if with a narcissist, it can be very helpful, but really in general, I think that's the winning method to me is to have some empathy, show you understand their side, but also show them your feelings and your side as well. You don't let them just get away with whatever they do, but you express yourself in a way that shows you try to understand where they're coming from, even if they have a hard time with feelings. And, and usually individuals with narcissism have a hard, very hard time being vulnerable and showing their hurt or their feelings. So you try to sometimes connect to that and also express your own as well. And I think um, that is, as she puts it, a winning strategy for interpersonal effectiveness. And also, of course, this book is called Disarming the Narcissist, but it doesn't mean if you read this book, you can definitely make any relationship work with anyone or any narcissist. Sometimes, um, as you mentioned in the book, you'll have to leave the relationship. It won't be salvageable. Or if you're in some kind of physical danger, you should definitely try to find a way out, right, rather than trying to quote-unquote fix them and even this book doesn't talk about fixing them and says that you can't just change someone's behavior or change them but these are ways that you can try to connect to them to see if that could then be a vehicle for change to occur so we can't fix or change anyone but we can try to 
change the way we interact with them, our relationship to them, what we try to do to see if that could create change in the relationship and might then lead to some changes in them as well. Uh, so this was a helpful book, I think, for anyone dealing with a narcissist. Most people will have someone in their life, whether it's a family member, um, boss, friend, or loved one, or romantic partner, who is displaying some of these traits. So I felt like it was a good, easy read and helpful with some practical advice as well. So that was Disarming the Narcissist by Wendy Bahari. All right, reached our first commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, I actually had a question. I have a 17-month-old daughter. Okay. And um, we are starting her in daycare. Um, we started her about a week ago. Um, we didn't want to start her, but due to circumstances, I have to, I'm going to be starting um, school in August. My husband works full-time, so we have to start her a little bit earlier than we would like. Mm-hmm. Um but she's having a difficult time. So as soon as I drop her off, she starts to cry. And then um, when I go to pick her up, I notice that she's crying. Um, they tell me that she's not crying the entire time, which is not mm-hmm. a lot. I, I mean, I only leave her there for about two hours. Okay. But um, I'm a little bit worried about her becoming a little bit anxious with me leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not. Well, she might be. And so it seems like... Ideally, you wouldn't be taking her, but two hours is not—it's not too significant. And then her crying when you drop her off and when when you pick her up can be pretty normal. You—you you said you've been taking her how long? About just a couple a week, couple weeks. Yeah, last week was her first okay. week, um, and then yeah, yeah today. Okay, so I mean that's uh, you know that's it's pretty new for her, and um, even what you're describing—the you know she cries when you drop her off and then she cries when you, you pick her up. It can seem strange because she's seeing you. And then why is she crying if she wanted to see you? But it's sometimes a reminder that you weren't there, especially at her age. And so it can just, it can be overwhelming for them when they mm-hmm. see their parent again. So don't we get it. We want to empathize with her and let her know you missed her, even if she maybe doesn't get all that yet. Um, but it's very common. Parents will say, even when they drop their kids off when they're older and for longer times, you know, when I pick them up, they're crying and they tell me it was so bad. But when I ask all the, the teachers and the people there, they said, you know, my kid was having a great time there. Or even sometimes they have cameras where you can see and you see them having fun and playing with kids. But then when you pick them up, they react really negatively. And so it's sometimes their way of saying, don't get too comfortable with dropping me off or mm-hmm. or leaving me. You know, they, they're trying to remind you that they don't like that. And we get that. She's, she's not going to like the goodbye and not being around you. Um, it doesn't mean she's necessarily not okay or it's going to really be damaging to her. Um, but so we just want to empathize with her and show her we understand she doesn't like it and we don't want to say goodbye to her and we miss her when she's gone and then we're excited to see her again. Um, again, in her age, the verbal might not get to her so much. But we want to show her that and also mm-hmm. show her it's okay for her to be sad. So one thing you might have to deal with is your own guilt of dropping her off because that's going to amplify the situation and make it harder for you to be there for her because when she starts to cry you start to feel that guilt about oh no i'm doing something bad 
and you can feel like you want her to stop crying because that's going to make you mm-hmm. feel less guilty. So um, that's something to consider, you know, how guilty do you feel or how bad do you feel about this? I'm not saying you need to, but it seems like you might be having some and that that can affect the way you're going to interact with her when you're dropping her off and picking her up and that can can make things or amplify the feeling she's having. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so okay, how- yeah, because when I go in, I mean, I try to make it quick. I mean, um, I try not to hang around because you're right, I do feel guilty, so yeah. I don't want to get emotional. And so I just kind of drop her off and then I come outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, I explain to her and I say bye and everything that I'm going to come pick her up, but I don't hang out too long. Um, uh-huh. And I just kind of come out and I watch her from behind the window. Okay, uh, um, and that's good. I'm glad you say goodbye because I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but some parents, they think, well, because the kid doesn't like the goodbye, I should just sneak out. And uh-huh. I really uh, disagree with that because, yes, we're trying to avoid, you know, we always are a lot of, we use avoidance a lot of times, unfortunately. We want to avoid that painful moment. But what we're not there for oftentimes is when the kid realizes you're gone and then they they can freak out and be like, what happened? And they can feel abandoned. And then they can feel untrusting and that can actually contribute to some anxiety if I don't know when mom or dad are going to come and go because sometimes I just turn around and they're gone. So um, I, I'm happy that you take that moment to make sure you have a, a proper goodbye with her, even if maybe it makes her upset, um, just to make sure you know she doesn't have that feeling that you just disappeared or you weren't there. And to continue that as, as she gets older as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, another question I have is, um, so by, I mean, August, I'll be, I'll be going to school full time. My husband's working full time. So we would like her to be full time by August if possible. I know she's kind of small, but I don't know how do we go about doing that? Mm. Do we like incrementally add time each, each other like week or something like that? Or do you just go from being two hours to like five hours or how, what is the best way to go about Doing yeah. that. Well, I was going to ask how, when you say full time, how long will that be? Um, so my schooling is eight to five, so she would preferably be there like seven thirty to like five thirty. Okay, that that's a, a lot for her age. Um, if, if there really is no other option, I understand, and and, and kids can can handle that. Even some more recent research on attachment. It's showing that the quality of the time is very important. So even if you don't get the amount of time to make sure that when you have it, you really are connecting with her. And I'm sure as a student, you'll have a lot of things to take care of. And so that'll be very hard to balance when making sure the time you have with her, you do engage with her in some very close play and connecting time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's going to be tough. That is a long time for a child, especially, uh, I don't know how her sleep is, but uh, you know, it's a lot of the time that she's awake in a day. So, yeah. um, I mean, there would be napping there. I mean, sure. really naps throughout the day um, at home for about two and a half hours, two to two and a half hours um, in the afternoon. At nighttime, she sleeps really well through the night. Okay. Um, so, like, yeah. 8 o'clock, she's in bed until, um, like, 7 in the morning. Yeah. So, I mean, it, is it ideal for her to be there? Def- I would say not. For her to be that long, it's kind of very difficult for a child that age. I don't know if there's any other options like i don't know sometimes schools have a daycare and things that then you can go see her in between but if that's not an option um and you have no one else that could stay with her and it's you know it's just it might be the reality you guys are in and Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean 
there has to be some huge damage, but we know it can have an effect on her. So like I said, when you can, I don't know if there's any way your husband with work, if you guys could balance that where he's with her a little bit more, you know, let's say if he started work later or something, that would be okay. good. But I don't know if any of these are options for you guys. Um, but that it, when the time you have with her, you have to make sure you can really spend time connecting with her, reconnecting with her. I mean, you're seeing the the feeling she's having saying goodbye to you or when you pick her up and it probably takes time to reconnect. So you might have to deal with that even more, especially when you're gone that long. Because for a kid her age, that's going to feel like a long time. Um, so again, it seems like it doesn't. your options are limited. And so if we have to do this, then we're going to try to make it the best by uh, you know, giving her that connection when you see her. But again, even more, dealing with your own feelings, seeing how you're doing. Do you need to even talk to someone to deal with uh -huh. that feeling? Because you're gonna, it's going to affect the relationship negatively rather than help. And so if you're having your own feelings about it that are too big, um, you're going to spill that onto her as well. And it's just going to make it even harder. Like you're, you know, you were saying already when you're saying goodbye, you have some guilt, you might feel it even more in that mm -hmm. case. So, um, just things to be aware of. Okay. Um, I guess like, uh, would it, would you say it's beneficial if she were to be home with somebody like a family member rather than being like in a center, like in a daycare or school? You know, even as you're saying it, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think it's so clear cut. It depends on how she feels there. Maybe if she, you know, at her age, playing with kids, there's not a lot of playing with. They might play next to each other, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of like parallel play, those kinds of things. But still, she might feel good there. So I don't think it's black or white. Depends on who the family member is, how comfortable she is. The only thing is, you know, being at home might feel a little bit better. Like that might feel good. Um, and so I, w I would try some things out. I don't think it's a... A black and white thing to me that this one one is better than the other you can try her at the daycare if she really feels good with the people there and i mean they can connect with some of the caregivers they have there in a way that can be nice um, but if she, you do have a family member that she connects with well that can be home with her that that's that could be good too you know we're trying to figure out how to take care of the best during that time who would it be that stays home with her um, probably like a grandmother or my sister. Okay. And so, you know, um, we're not going to put them on you on the spot either, but just because someone's family member doesn't mean they're necessarily a good caretaker for a child. Mm -hmm. Some people are just not, it's not their thing. They don't like kids or they're not very good with kids or their parenting style might be so different from yours that just because you're related to them doesn't necessarily mean they're better. I know okay. there is a bias to think, well, if it's the grandmother, it has to be better. But sometimes, you know, a grandmother with the child for 10 hours or however long it is, eight hours, you know, might not be very good with that. They might not be able to handle that long by themselves. Mm -hmm. And that itself could be an issue. So I would think about that as well, that if you're putting a big burden on a family member, um, one, how capable they are and how much they want to do it. And they, they could burn out after doing that. And then that's not going to be good for them or the kid. And a lot of times. When it comes to a baby, people feel like they can't say no or they're not going to tell you. So they might not be handling it so well or it might be too much for them and they might not tell you. So that's something I'd keep in mind to not have too much of that bias that if it is a family member, it has to be better. It can be, but you have to look at who's going to be doing it, how good they are with the kid, how comfortable you and your husband feel and, and all of those things, especially, of course, how comfortable your daughter feels too and all of those factors. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, so would you, going back to my last question, would you recommend like doing it gradually? I know it's not ideal, but uh, increasing time like gradually, or is it just best to do it like all of a sudden change to full time? I I I like the idea of the gradual just to see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might not be bad to give that a chance. I mean, I guess you have about a month, or I don't know exactly if you start. Yeah. In the beginning of August, but you have probably about a month or so. It's it's something you can experiment with a little bit more time. Um, okay. You can even try even before you start a day where she is there the whole day to see how it goes, and then you are available in case you know she's really not doing well mm-hmm. to pick mm-hmm. her up. Uh, but we just are aware that for her it's going to feel like a long time without you, and doesn't mean this has to be hugely damaging or can't work, but that it can have an effect. As I mentioned, I would recommend looking up some of the research on attachment. But they're finding that it can be, you can create a healthy attachment with the baby, even younger than your baby, even if they're in daycare. Um, if you are really sensitive to them and attuned to them in the time that you have. So that's why I'm sure as a student, what are you studying, by the way? Um, I'm going to be start starting dental school. Dental school. Okay. So that's going to be super busy uh, and that's going to be challenging. And um, honestly, good luck to you with that. The dental school itself is hard enough with the baby it's going to be even more challenging but really we have to make sure she she gets you too you know and that's going to be hard to, to i'm sure manage that i'm sure your husband will have to help you a lot as well but giving her that quality time of playing with her and not you know of course you can have some times where i'm sure you're going to be studying and she's around but that every day she gets some of you where you're just it's just about her you know there's yeah. nothing else you're dealing with or looking at and just you and her are engaged in play because she's going to need that connection and attunement emotionally with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. My last question is um, about like monastery versus like the regular um, type of school. Like, uh, Would you recommend like a monastery, like a child directed or more like a teacher directed school? I'm, I think, you know, most schools are going a little more child directed anyway even as they get older i mean i don't usually like to promote any one type of school as like a montessori is definitely better i think i went to montessori for at least a year i don't know if more than that Um, not to say that means it's good or bad but i don't see it as necessarily has to be better it's to me it's more about the fit so if she goes there and you guys feel good about it i think that's more important than there is a superior type of preschool Okay. Well, thank you so much. Sure. Nice talking to you and good luck with her and also good luck at school. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Going into our last commercial break, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delok. We will be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hi. Thanks for calling. Uh, yes. Uh, I wanted to talk about my son, if it's possible. Okay. Sure. Go ahead. If you can't speak a little bit louder, but go ahead. Uh, yes. My son is twenty-two years old. He is in college and also work. Uh, he is not living with us anymore. Okay. Did you say twenty-three? But, 23 years. Okay, go ahead. And uh, he he was diagnosed with ADHD uh, when he was 
middle school, and after that, he has been taking medications. And mm-hmm. uh, recently, uh, he has been used or overused the drug that he has been taking, and sometimes he is uh, he has uh, some problems. Uh, we went to our family uh, doctor, and uh, he. Um, he had a difficulty sleeping as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he suggested to take medication for uh, sleeping better. Uh, but uh, he has problems focusing on the task and uh, also problems with uh, organizing uh, his life and his activities. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to know if you have any suggestion and recommendation for this situation? Okay. Um, well, you know, some of those things you're talking about are ADHD type of uh, symptoms of having difficulties. But because of his age and things, there's not, you know, there probably isn't so much you can do. Are you wondering how you can help him? Um, we, he has moved to our house. He's uh, moved into your house? Okay. Uh, it's just a week or 10 days that uh, he's... Uh, he has been in a bad situation. Uh, he was going to take a trip abroad with his two of his friends, but in the airport, he noticed that he has lost his passport. Mm-hmm. This happened in Atlanta, and he took a bus and came back to our city, and uh, he was very upset, mm-hmm. and we tried to calm him, calm him down, um, but... He, this has been very difficult time for him. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, this uh, situations like this has happened in his life uh, a few times. So uh, I want I wanted to know what's your recommendation? Should he go to a psychologist? He has already been to two psychologists by himself. I think uh, absolutely. I mean, he's, and we can understand it. I'm glad you're aware and understand that it must have been very disappointing for him. And he was very upset that he didn't get to go on this trip because he forgot his passport. And individuals that are dealing with ADHD tend to be forgetful. So they lose things, they forget things. And so I'm sure it's not the first time he's dealt with this consequence. And he might have gotten very disappointed with himself for um, what happened. So, yeah, I think it could be good for him, of course, if he wants to, to go see a therapist, a psychologist, along with also looking at his medication. So seeing a psychiatrist, if he isn't already, to monitor the medication to see if he's on the right medication, the right dosage, to, to figure out those issues as well. And there is a possibility, depending on how things are going with you guys as a family, that family therapy could be appropriate. So I don't know how things have gone so far. I know it's kind of new, but that's also something that you guys can explore. Uh, we haven't had any family sessions, but um, yes, that's an option that we can consider. Okay. So how is he doing so far? Have you asked him how he's doing? Is he very upset still about the trip? Is he? What is he going through? Actually, I wanted, because he's listening to our conversation, uh-huh. I wanted, if it's possible, he uh, gives you some information uh, that absolutely. you need sure. and talk to him as well. Sure, if he's open to that, that's absolutely fine, yeah. Okay.
Hello? Hello? Yes. I'm Fred or Farhad. Okay, I can't hear you quite. I'm not sure. I think you were saying your name. I'm not sure. You don't have to say the name. Am I talking now to the son? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay. Okay, you don't have to say your name. Don't worry about that. We're we're on the air. I mean, you can. No problem with that. So your dad was sharing with me some things. I'm not sure if you were hearing our conversation um, that you have been dealing with ADHD since middle school or you were diagnosed in middle school. And I believe you're 23. And that recently uh, you were supposed to go on a trip and didn't happen because you didn't bring your passport and you seem to be pretty bummed, understandably, about that. But I um, wanted to see how you're doing because... Uh, I guess he's a little bit concerned. So I want to see how how are you doing right now? Honestly, the the concern is the hardest part to deal with because I've already like grown out of that situation. Grown out of which situation? Uh, the losing the password, the losing friends that I thought I should have kept, and et cetera, et cetera. I see. Okay. So you feel like your parents are too concerned about you? Far too concerned. Sorry, I think we we lost you. I think we lost the caller. Um, okay. And so I don't know exactly where um, things were going uh, regarding that. He It seems like he thought his parents were overly concerned. I'm not sure. I hope. I don't know if they're still listening. Um, but uh, if they are concerned and overly concerned... I hope that if you yourself think you might need help, you would be able to to get that. Uh, and parents oftentimes don't know how to help their kids. Um, and, you know, it's important to recognize there's only so much we can do. There's only uh, so much we can help them and they have to want to get help. Um, so I think we maybe have them on the... Um, I think we have the caller maybe back on. We want to give them a chance uh, to come back. Amir is trying to set things up with them now. Okay, let's see. Let's go back to the caller. Hello? Caller, are you still there? Yes. Okay. So you're saying you think your parents are too concerned? Yes, they were far too concerned. Far too concerned. Yes, okay. And so because of that, um, you feel it seems like that almost adds more pressure on you. Yeah, uh, this actually goes back to all my life, where mm. I never felt free. You never felt, sorry, what? I never felt free. Free, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any siblings? Uh, one sibling, uh, she is one year older than me. Okay. And so, yeah, you, it seems like, you, you know, I was kind of touching on this when, I don't know if you're hearing it, but sometimes parents... It, they almost can do too much. They feel like they get too involved. Now, I don't know how you're feeling, but if you've been going through some things, not because your parents are concerned, but because if you want some help, it might be helpful to get some therapy just to talk to someone. But if you feel okay, um, that's obviously up to you. And regarding the medication, it can be annoying because sometimes the dosing might be good for us for a while, but then that can change. But it could be also good to see a psychiatrist to get evaluated on how the medication is going. Correct. So how, how are you, how do you feel? Cause I think what can happen is sometimes when our parents or anyone 
expresses too much concern, we can almost get defensive, feeling like we have to show that we're okay when sometimes maybe we're not, maybe we're going through something. So uh, you, you know, I know you know they're hearing it, so maybe that affects things. But like I said, I want you to think about that. But even me asking you now, how do you feel you're doing? Um, I'm doing great. Okay. And uh, what I wonder is how can I portray that I'm doing great? I'm not trying to put up a facade or anything. Yeah, and I know you said the word portray, and maybe that's not what you meant because I want you to be okay rather than you know yeah. just showing them. Um, I don't know. I would talk to them about what they're concerned about. Um, and, you know, sometimes parents might have certain wishes for their kids or they might expect certain things or they might think life should be a certain way when, in fact, it might just be their expectations or what they want for their life, but it doesn't have to be what you want for your life, so there might be a difference there. Uh, I think it might be best that you talk to my parents, honestly. Okay. Well, maybe maybe your parents... Uh, I, I think what I would recommend even to you and the family because of what you're talking about, I know uh, right now, to be honest with you, we have about two minutes left anyway for the show, um, mm -hmm. and, but your dad was asking about therapy, and even just what might benefit you as well is to go to family therapy. So you get a chance to express yourself. And also, it seems like you don't think you have a problem or that you're the problem. And so that way, you can have an outside person that hears what's going on and might even help in the way you're saying of giving you some more space or allowing you to be more okay uh, with, you know, the, or making them understand you're more okay than they might think you are. And that might be the best next step. If you don't think you need help right now individually, that would be my recommendation is that you guys go as a family to see someone. And it should be someone that yeah, you feel a, good about. And as, a, and as a final talking point, I guess uh, it's hard for me to tell my parents that I'm okay. So I guess, yeah, group therapy would be the best idea. Right, yeah, family, exactly. Family therapy might be good because then you guys can explore these issues, how you guys communicate and maybe with that third party there, they can get an idea of what's going on and, and tell you guys, maybe, yeah, you indeed are okay. Maybe, you know, you uh, can show them that in therapy and also work on the communication styles. I'm, I think family therapy can be very helpful. And very often we think that one person is the problem or has the issues, but the whole family needs to be involved. So even if yeah, for uh, your, yeah, you know. Can we uh, go on to the next caller? Because I think other people might need help also. <laughs> well, we're about to wrap up the show anyway, but I hope you guys will go to family therapy um, very soon. And maybe that'll be a good way for your parents to feel okay as well, that you guys are doing something and you can get what you want. So it could be a win-win. So I hope you guys will try that out. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Nice talking. You have a good night. Have a good night. Bye-bye. All right. So thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. Have a wonderful night. Ninety-four-seven KTWV HD3 Los Angeles.